Hello, and welcome to Dear Fandom, where everything you like is terrible, and that's okay. I'm Megan. And I'm Hillary. And today we're going to talk about something that the fandom is actually one of the biggest issues with the material, and that is <laughs> Fight Club. Uh, we're both talking about the movie and the book, uh, specifically exactly how Fight Club has kind of entered the zeitgeist, has, you know, infiltrated not just Gen X, but a lot of millennials and a lot of guys see this book movie, specifically the movie, as this, like, ideal masculine, you know, pinnacle of achievement that this is where you want to be. You have to be Brad Pitt in Fight Club. And uh, we're just here to gonna shit on it for, like, an hour probably. So strap in. <laughs> Here's the thing about Fight Club. It originally started off really interestingly. Um, Chuck uh, Chuck Palahniuk is technically a member of the boomer generation. He's on the latter end of it, but he really kind of grew up into the Gen X um, sort of side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, He was born in 1962, and he was not a privileged man. He is a blue-collar guy. And um, the book started because... um, he was, he once got into a fight over the weekend, and on Monday, his co-workers didn't ask him what happened. Like, normally, he figured, like, if you show up to work roughed up and bruised, someone's gonna be like, hey man, are you okay? But yeah. all of them avoided it, so he got this idea, it's like, what if, what if this is the secret code of men? And he, as a writer, as a person who was already writing short stories, and um, getting them published and, like, establishing his career as a writer. He had not yet published a novel. And he was like, okay, so we have the Yaya Sisterhood and we have the Joy Luck Club and we have all these books that it, that show examples of female socialization. But what about men? Like, what do we do? And, <laughs> and, he, and thus, uh, the Fight Club was born using their ultra-stupid powers. Yes, Sorry. but this book was written as a parody you know, it is mm-hmm. clearly satirical. Yeah, and that's one of the issues is that is absolutely lost on the fandom. It's not satirical. I mean, to the point of it's been the the rules of Fight Club have been co-opted by various members of online organizations. I mean, I remember the first rules of the Internet. The first two rules of the Internet were verbatim. Uh, you do not talk about B, and you do not talk about B. And I mean, I don't even know if B exists anymore. It's 2020, and I remember back in the day you couldn't mention it because, like, it, you would just, bring, like, inflict a rain of fury upon your house. And nowadays, like, it's just, it's in the same way that Fight Club was this almost open secret in which, you know, it, that's and that's kind of part of the, the satire is that, Tyler sucks at enforcing these rules. You can't talk about Fight Club. Why are more people joining? How do you all know? Oh, because it's not that it's not that people are asking, like Chuck mentions, like in his real life example, nobody asked him about how he got into a fight. It's that there's this masculine, like, I've gotta I've gotta talk to all my guy friends about how I fight people on the weekends. Like There is a poem by a um I'm I'm going to reference a lot of outside things because so many things tie into this concept of like masculinity and toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. There was a f- poem by um, that I'll link um, I'll uh, link in our Instagram actually um, by a poet called uh, Jeff Kagan Trenchard 
And um, I'm forgetting the title at the moment. I meant to research this um, before I um, we recorded this episode. But he talks about um, it is better to, to say that you have beaten a man half to death than to say you have loved one. And you have in in or like like you have to you have to tell the story of how you beat the shit out of the guy over and over and over again to enforce your masculinity. But if you say, "Oh, I was in a romantic relationship with a man," you know, as Chuck. Polanyuk, you know, in his personal life, engages in romantic relationships with men. That's a story you need only tell once. So it's, um, he's really a master in that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, you know what it is? I actually, hearing that, it's, I've heard a lot of different interpretations of what Fight Club means in terms of the film and in terms of the book. Um, the, the most recent one that I've, I've heard is that it's this, uh, this, this, sort of parable almost about consumerism and like how consumerism makes men effeminate and and that's and that's the whole narrative is it's not about it's not about toxic masculinity it's in fact about consumerism and how capitalism i mean i do agree with the concept that there is no ethical consumption under capitalism like that in its inherent sentence is absolutely a true statement but uh but saying something like capitalism is what leads to the effeminist it, it, like creating effeminate men is just so fucking dumb because i'd like to introduce my prime example which is the sports industry and that is consumerism to a t why would you spend ten thousand dollars on a goddamn ticket to the super bowl just to have the bragging rights that you went to the super bowl so like that's that is my issue with with this interpretation about uh because i i do at its core believe that that fight club is this narrative about how masculinity can come in so many different forms but jack as the narrator is only like pigeonholed into this one very stringent form of masculinity in showing physical prowess and strength by beating the ever-loving shit out of other guys Naked, kind of. Half naked. Kind of, kind of, you know, again, the homoeroticism. It, you could just go on. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many men you've heard tell you this, but I, so I go to, I, I used to go to the gym a lot before they all closed. Um, and, you know, guys love talking about their ideal body. And you would not believe how many men I have heard tell me that Brad Pitt in Fight Club is the ideal figure for them. That V, the way that the chest isn't too defined. I have heard men go into more detail about Brad Pitt's body in Fight Club than I am certain Michelangelo thought about when he made David. Like, <laughs> he's just like, all right, and this ab over here, and this ab over here. And like, Michelangelo who was, by all reports, a gay man. <laughs> I'm certain Michelangelo didn't even give, like, he, he was like, I gotta make it 80 feet tall, but I don't need to go into detail about how much I want to fuck my statue, whereas, like... I'm fucking my assistants. <laughs> <laughs> whereas dudes who are into Fight Club will go on tangents about Brad Pitt's physique in Fight Club, and just with with no sense of irony at all, they'll just be like, yeah. And I'll be like, so you think he's hot? No, I didn't say he's hot. I said he had an ideal body. So, so you think it's attractive? No, I'm just saying I'd like that body on me. Me too. <laughs> and this... This idealization of um, this idealization of men's bodies and the kind of fixation on men's bodies and the relation to oneself, I suppose that is kind of where um, these uh, reviewers or these like cr critics would get this like effeminization thing from because they see women as vain, vapid creatures. 
But it's but here's the thing. When this book was published, the internet was kind of in its infancy. Yes. So there wasn't the influence of, you know, like this horde of like men congregating online. It was a more it was more disparate communities and stuff yes. like that. There wasn't the undercurrent of misogyny in the book. You know, women really aren't part of the book. Like, no, with I mean, the besides of Marla. Marla. Yeah. I was going to say Marla, but Marla's kind of an outlier. And she's, like, just as crazy as Jack is. So, like... I, and and the, what I actually... Um, it, it's weird to say this, I think, because Marla is one of those characters that... I mean, for a lot of, like, alt girls in the 2000s, um, you know, like, you're coming into high school in the 2000s, Marla was one of those characters that you would look at and you'd go, that is like like she's the epitome of i'm not like other girls but she never says that sentence yeah she just kind of lives this life of i i mean marla doesn't have a great life she is literally suicidal for 90 percent of the film's runtime um she goes to the meetings that jack goes to jack goes to them for this sense of like closure i guess to cry every day and go to sleep at night because of his horrifying insomnia she goes to them because they're a free source of entertainment and she has no qualms about that she goes there because she can get coffee and food she uh steals clothes from the laundromat so she can sell them at the pawn not the pawn store that that the um at the thrift shop across the way so she can get money for food she pretends that she's you know taking someone's meals on wheels she's you know unambiguously not a good person but i also think that she at her core is someone who's a victim of poverty and just kind of one of those um discarded humans that a lot that i think a lot of people can say they belong to that group that nobody really gives a shit about them yeah and i think i think this is where the analysis of capitalism on their part on the critics like this is really sticking in my mind because they're almost right like, yes but they're they, they do it in relation to the male characters as opposed to including marla in that conversation yeah, as well exactly a they're not including marla and she is the prime example of how uh capitalism has worked against the american public but b it's not the um it's not emasculating uh the um uh, the generational rot of gen x is not emasculating it's capitalism destroying and like the hollowing out of the middle class that's destroying the american dream and these like f um this online community of fans of the book and the film are blaming women for that and exactly. that's why marley gets cut cut out there it's like they're so close they're so it's, close it, it, which is why which is why for me it's like from from when i talk to men specifically about fight club and i mentioned marla as a character it, it's kind of I think it's odd to me in the conversations I've had in real life, obviously, about how Marla is not really it, it's just they never have the cognizance to be like Marla is an inherent contributor to this story. Marla is somebody who is just is just move the plot forward as much as Tyler does. I've, I've heard takes about being like, oh, Marla is the reason that Tyler forms. No, 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 no. That's not the, that's not correct. Marla is just uh, somebody who happens to get caught. This is the cycle of abuse, the cycle of poverty. You never end up with people who are going to truly take care of you and be truly good for you because that's the that's what happens. That is what poverty is. That is a, it's, it's just, you know, it, it's it's circling the drain, basically, you're, until mm -hmm. you finally sink. Um, and and it's just I think with with so many takes on Marla, they just never acknowledge that. I feel that she's not, a, she's not the driver in her own life because 
of her circumstances because of her addiction issues her suicidal issues it's it's something that that she's she's kind of just this forgotten character in a way that i i sympathize with her so greatly because she deserves so much better and instead she gets a, a boyfriend who has undiagnosed DID and abuses her and has sex with her and she doesn't even know how to process it. Yeah, she's the real victim here. And, like, um, these... It's just... uh, These men idolize Tyler Durden because they're like, Tyler says and does whatever the hell he wants, but so does Marla. Marla says that's actually 100% true, yes. Yeah, Marla is the same way. That's the reason she's dating Tyler and not Jack, you know? <laughs> That's actually, I didn't even think about it that way. Because some of the stuff Marla says is absolutely like, like, I, I mean, the, uh, the line, the line in the beginning of the movie when they're, when they're splitting up the recovery groups and she goes, I'm more entitled to go to the testicular cancer meetings because you still have your balls. And an, <laughs> I another, love that so much. another thing that is absolutely apparent in the movie a hundred percent of the time is this constant, constant talk of balls and dicks, specifically balls and how balls are like the key to manhood if you've got testicles you're a man and it's just it's but they lose the juxtaposition of jack being at the testicular cancer meeting in the beginning and how they are constantly reinforcing that they are men even without testicles because masculinity isn't defined by genitalia it is defined by what you identify as like that's the whole point because bob for instance as a character he had testicular cancer he messed around with roids and therefore his mammary glands expanded to quote unquote bitch tits and at no point does anyone look at bob and go you're not a man no in fact bob is revered after he loses his life halfway through the movie Mm -hmm. and it's it's something that I actually I actually heard a take that I was not fond of. Um, it was a take on Bob. The reason Bob's family left him because in the beginning of the movie, Bob's crying about how, you know, he used to go, he used to be on roids and he uh, he got juiced up and you know his family crumbled. His kids won't even call him, and you know and and he just hates everything now. And the 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 review I heard implied that Bob lost his family and his children because of testicular cancer. And I don't think that's correct at all. I personally subscribe to the belief that you can't extrapolate upon incomplete data, but um, especially with regards to characters like Bob. But uh, when you have something shitty happen to you to the point where you're going to a support group to cry into a stranger, uh, it's because your family abandoned you long before shit hit the fan. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's been with someone, whether it be a father, a brother, uh, a, a husband, who, what have you, uh, steroids just do not make a good, safe, stable personality or partner. Uh, and I absolutely assume that the reason his children stopped talking to him has entirely to do with probably abuse of steroids and less to do with, you know, testicular cancer. Yeah, I don't think they'd be that heartless. I'm pretty sure the abuse of steroids is like much more of a controversial topic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's controversial, absolutely. But I also do believe that, that the idea that any child or even former spouse or, uh, you know, caregiver that you share children with, to leave, if, you were to, if you were to come into the house and say, I've been diagnosed with testicular cancer and they're going to have to remove my testicles, and if your family went, get the fuck out, I hate you, um, 
Okay, now we're painting a different picture here. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, it's it's definitely due to selfishness, which actually kind of brings me to my next point about Ooh. the male characters. Um, this is like something that I've been thinking about in regards to this, and I think Chuck does this really well. He sort of um, he addresses um, through the characters' actions and inactions, like male accountability Ooh. and being accountable for your own failings as a person, you know? And I think the creation of the Tyler Durden personality is due to an inability to hold oneself accountable for the deeper demons inside them, you know? Because Marla, mm -hmm. like, not to, not to go back to Marla, but, like, she's my girl, and I love her. Who doesn't, <laughs> honestly? If you don't like Marla as a character, then... You You're reading... sexist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're sexist. You hate women. So, um... Uh, Marla doesn't need to split her personality to be exactly who she is, uh, like, and to own the fact that there are bad parts of her and there are yeah. primal parts of her that, and to act on these things and to, like, acknowledge the fact that, like, I think, it, I, I think that she both doesn't see what she does is wrong and, but at the same time does see what she does is wrong and doesn't care. Like, yeah, and, I, I agree with that take. Yeah. And I think that Jack is this like weak minded sort of like shy guy who like goes to the, these accountability meetings and kind of not accountability meetings, goes to all of these like therapy session meetings, like these support groups, um, like switching off support groups, like a weirdo, like with things that he doesn't have, to, like, feel some sort of sense of self. To feel like he mm -hmm. belongs somewhere. Yep. And he creates this personality that can belong somewhere. And I think that men wish they could do that. Men wish they could have an extension of a part of themselves that just does whatever the fuck they want without consequences. Because men want to... Um, this is a... Uh, a lot of men, this is like the thesis of it, a lot of men, I'm going to read from my notes, um, a lot of young men see it as a rallying cry to express their violence and aggression in any way possible rather than to lead an examined life, examining their own masculinity, the trappings of their financial situations, and um, ultimately leading to an examination of their privilege. I mean, if you were to, we should have given a disclaimer that we were going to be taken to church today. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I... Absolutely, one hundred and ten percent agree. It, it, it's it's to the point where I, Tyler is is absolutely uh, not uh, he's not he's not admirable, but he he has all these admirers, and Marla is not admirable in the sense that she's truthful. I mean, she's absolutely admirable in the sense that she's truthful with herself, mm -hmm. and Marla's admirability. Is, is not there, I think, at face value. Tyler's is. All these dudes obsess over Tyler because he leads them blindly. There's no independence among these fucking people because they're like, oh, all I was looking for was a, was a dude in charge to tell me what to do and tell me how to think. And that is exactly what Tyler does. Whereas Marla doesn't tell anyone how to think or what to do. She's honest with herself like i said she's at these support groups because there's free food and it's entertaining and she doesn't have tv 
or she's you know she bought that she bought a bridesmaid dress for a dollar from a thrift store and she doesn't even care that it's a bridesmaid dress like it's it's or like after she's uh, attempted suicide she and the and the uh emts run in and they're like they're knocking on her door you have you have something to live for she's calling back that she's a troubled girl and and honestly why should anyone even help her which is your own your, your own bad brain repeating the thoughts that they think about you but out loud and sometimes giving them voice you can see the 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 how it doesn't make sense like your brain will say something like you don't matter and if you say it out loud you're like oh she doesn't matter at all and then you're like wait i'm talking about me huh and you'll like uh-huh. you'll have these processing moments yeah and marla's just so truthful with herself like to the to the point of obviously flawed and it's 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 admirable because if everyone were that truthful with themselves, like if you if you had a friend who canceled on you and you go, why did you cancel? And they'd be like, honestly, I woke up. I just didn't want to leave my house. Like, that's it. I, not that I don't want to see you. I just don't want to leave my house today. You'd be like, all right, well, that's okay. Yeah, um, exactly. Ex- oh, my God. Take me to take me to church. Um, <laughs> <laughs> copyright claim (laughs) listen uh, Hozier's a meme lord it's fine (laughs) um but yeah no I I completely see that and like the point that keeps ricocheting in me my head is that like a confident stupid woman is seen as like she's not stupid but like a confident a confident like a confident belligerent woman is seen as like a threat or is seen as crazy or is Mm -hmm. seen as but a confident, stupid, belligerent man is seen as a hero. He's seen as a leader. It's like that Nicki Minaj quote, which I will send to you. And um, <laughs> just, no, it's serious. It's seriously amazing. Um, she's very much herself. She's in like a fucking three foot wig. And like, she's like, if a, um, if a woman asserts herself, she's a bitch. If a man asserts himself, he's a boss. It's like, I can't win. You know, like, I'm a human being, like, and... I, 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 yeah, I absolutely, completely agree with that sentiment. And it's, it's I mean, it's on display fully in in uh, Fight Club. That, you know, if a woman asserts herself, she's she's grabbed by the arm. She's, she's d- determined as a detriment to male success. Whereas with Tyler, he literally lets a dude stand on his doorstep for three full fucking days, smacks him around, screams in his face... Um, or in the case of Jared Leto, punches his face so hard that he spits out his own teeth and he still gets these followers. Yeah, it's like, it's like, what kind of sadomasochistic bullshit is this? <laughs> I cannot imagine, like, I mean, yes, you will have toxic friendships in your life. But if any of my friends, like, like, or even tangentially, like a friend of my friend was intimidated by my friendship with that person... So much to the point that they beat my face in. I'd be like, we've got some serious issues to discuss here that, you know, therapy is not going to be able to address alone. Like, <laughs> like that's and that's the issue is one of the one of the pivotal scenes in this movie and the book is the beating of Babyface, a.k.a. Jared Leto's character. Yep. And it's I mean, I think in the book it's it's to the point because it's it's not Tyler who's beating Babyface. It's it's uh it's Jack. Jack. It's and Jack. that's why it's so important because Tyler does a lot of the heavy lifting with regards to the action of the movie and the book. But this scene in particular, this absolutely brutal beating of Babyface, is due to at its core, 
jealousy. Jealousy over the fact that Tyler may like Babyface more than he likes Jack because Jack still hasn't made the connection that him and Tyler are two sides of the same coin, aka two distinct personalities within the same person. And he's jealous of losing a relationship with Tyler to Babyface. And it threatens him so much so to the point of instead of talking about this with Tyler and being like, hey, what's your fucking relationship with Babyface? Instead, he fights Babyface to the point of, I mean, irrecognizability. And and Tyler looks at him and goes, you okay, psycho? And you're just like, well, this seems like a healthy coping exercise for everyone involved. Glad we all made it through. It's just like every every time I think about like the implications of that sort of triangle, Babyface. Who, I mean, like, it's Jared Leto, so, like, I can't feel that bad, but, like... Oh, oh, oh. I mean, like, you're sending dead pigs to people's doorsteps, but anyway. <laughs> he is a beautiful man, so, um, birthday twin, oddly enough. Um, but, um... Megan, yeah. trying to comprehend all of the things that were just sent in that, said in that <laughs> sentence. Birthday twin, beautiful man, pigs on doorstep. <laughs> Listen, it's a lot of information. Keep up. So much. <laughs> um, the, when I think about the implications of that entire, that entire sort of like triangle with baby face, kind of like this innocent victim in the two and these two warring people who are literally the same person, which is a convention that is overused now, but that back then wasn't so, yes. and was genuinely yeah. a twist when I read it. Um, yes. In the book, it's a twist. In the movie, you're like, oh, I was waiting for this the entire time. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Sorry, I I always I always don't like when movies just throw away the twist like in the beginning because the point of the twist is the audience as a whole should be screaming like what the fuck like because they could not believe it. And I think that that a twist like Jack and Tyler being the same person and Tyler is actually not real and is a part of Jack's personality that Edward Norton is the host and Tyler is a per is a facet like that's something that could have had it been handled with a little bit more deftness and like just a little bit better uh finesse it would have been something that the whole audience would have been just crazy like oh my god how could what but instead they've spliced in like one frame images of Brad Pitt all the fucking time throughout the first 30 minutes of the movie. And you're just like, okay, I, I get it. Um, he's not real. Like it's not, it's not a surprise if you know what's coming. Yeah. So yeah. So like with the DID, which is like, by the way, not a phenomenon that happens like in nearly as often as te film and television would have you believe it yeah. is exceptionally rare yep. um and is very difficult to prove um uh -huh. it drives me megan and i have had like deep discussions about this and, and it's really always very hard um i think it's actually it's 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 fight club is one of the very few films that i have seen that um and tv shows included that i think depicts did in a way that is the most accurate to how it is in real life you lose chunks of time but it's never enough to disorient you in the beginning because it'll be so like for instance the narrator has the very clear uh established pretense of i have terrible insomnia and i feel half awake half asleep all the time so you lose chunks of time due to intense intense insomnia so that is the best way i can describe it because did is not something like 
I, I, it's not, it's not split. I'm sorry. Uh, you can't, James McAvoy didn't, he's not, it's not it. Like James McAvoy is great in acting in it, but it's, that's not did. Okay. Like it's not be, really it. To be fair, I actually really enjoyed Split, but I like saw it as more of a sci-fi film than like an actual depiction of oh, personality yeah. disorder. I absolutely agree. It's, it's a, I mean, like I said, James McAvoy is great in that movie, but if, I, if a doctor would be like, at some point a doctor would be like, okay, so you've changed personalities 16 times in the course of 10 minutes over no real triggers whatsoever. So, okay. And like, that would be the notes like, okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a television show um, that deals with uh, did that um, in case you want to see it, I will not reveal it to you, but um, it is, it handled it very well. And I was very surprised. Does this TV show star Tony Collette? No. Okay, no, I, I, I like. I don't think United States of Terror does a great job. I think it's more. <laughs> no, United States of States of Terror is a comedy. Uh, the yeah. show I'm talking about. Um... Don't worry, we won't spoil it. Check out your Netflix, guys. It's quarantine. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, believe, I believe it's on Netflix. But um, anyway, um, but I've seen a few things like do it fairly well, and I think yeah, and I do think that Fight Club, even though it is like obvious toward the end, it's like you know the twist and crying game that everybody knows. Um, yes. Like. A film that I have not seen, but I know the twist of, um, which is tacky <laughs> anyway, but whatever. Um, but sort of backtracking too. <laughs> we, okay, we, guys, we, we do get on tangents sometimes. Just, just, it's, we'll it's, rewind for a moment. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We are BFFs. This is what happens. It is easy to talk. So um, <laughs> that whole thing felt like a lover spat. It really did. And Absolutely. like. Like, especially, like, so many, so many of the, um, descriptions, however sparse they are, of interactions between, um, between Jack and, um, he's Joe in the book, but, like, Jack and, um, Tyler in the book are very, like, like, how one would regard a lover, and it's, like, very bizarre and um i was talking to megan earlier about this and um there is an introduction in the 1999 and the 2004 version essay that um chuck wrote about the book and the book process and he intended it to be a retooling or a rewrite of the great gatsby which is actually one of my favorite books and um he saw the um he saw the three main characters as the sort of love triangle that exists in the Great Gatsby, whereas Jack so Gatsby, Nick, Nick, and Daisy, right? Uh, Marlowe, yep, um, yeah, Gatsby, Nick, and Daisy. So um, Nick will be Nick will be Jack, um, Tyler will be Gatsby, and Daisy will be Marla. And um, it actually works fairly well. And at the end, um, you know, at the end, Gatsby is eliminated, and um, like that's killing off. And to correlate it with the end of the book, it's killing off that part of his personality you know, killing mm -hmm. off that part of himself. Whereas in the book, it's like a literal, like, killing of the American dream. Which, yes. uh, which again, they get the capitalism thing so close, but they're so wrong. <laughs> it's, 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 it, it's like, it, it's like you did all of the work correctly and you got the wrong answer. You know, like, when you, have, when you have a math test and you've done all of the work correctly and your teacher, like, circles it and was like, this is all right. Where did you get this from? And they circle the answer, like, four times in red pen. Because you've, you, this is what they've done. Like, this is what reviewers have done. They've done all the work. But to reach the conclusion they get to, you're kind of like, 
where do we get? It's, ser- <laughs> it's seriously like, yeah, it's seriously like, like, yeah, capitalism and the hollowing out of the middle class um, really created, um, uh, really created wealth disparity and made certain generations uh, like fall into debt and question themselves. Therefore, women are at fault. <laughs> And we're done. (laughs) Okay. Like, like I actually, speaking of that specific women are at fault, there's a scene in particular with regards to this blaming of women uh, where Jack and Tyler commiserate together about how they they had absentee fathers. They left at young ages and uh, they were raised by their mothers. And Tyler gives this, this very like quotable line about we're a generation of men raised by women. How do they, like, do we, do you think another woman's going to solve our issues? And I literally want to be like, or, or you can hold your dads accountable for being absolute pieces of fucking garbage. Um, and assuming, <laughs> Hillary has dropped the mic on the floor. Um, and assuming that, uh, that it was, that, that any of your lack of failings as a human is on the behalf of your mother solely instead of accurately blaming your father in addition because i don't know if if uh if anybody's aware of this but single parent households are hard to run they're absolutely difficult to run it doesn't matter if you have two boys one boy six girls eight girls ten children of many different genders it doesn't matter a single parent household is hard uh and you don't get more effeminate because your mom raised you you don't get less effeminate if your dad raised you it's important to call out your parents regardless of, you know, like, believing this kind of conscribed nonsense that because I didn't have a dad, that's the reason I'm, I'm not, I failed as a man. And it's like, mm. I, at this point, I'd like to point out every single guy in the baby boomer generation who maybe did have a dad involved in their life who beat their ass every fucking day. And um, it's something, or like, you know, was, an, was a raging alcoholic and not involved in their life. Or, or just something. went to work and sat in front of the TV after work and didn't do anything. And did, and yeah, they were, they were a non-participant in their child's life. This kind of, they were, they were absentee fathers, except they existed because they were sitting in front of them, just not involved. And, and that's, and I think that's the core of the issue is that you're right. They want to blame women. It's this blaming of the reason I am the way I am is because my mom messed up because my dad left and he left because of her or something creating this narrative in their heads of just like. It's, like, where did you get this from? How far did you reach? Yeah, no, for real. Like, that's absolutely what it is. Like, they'd rather blame the women in their life than, again, give themselves any kind of accountability for their own existence. Once you go beyond a certain point, once you start getting the influence of school and friends and work and, like, you know, like, girlfriends, boyfriends, what have you, you know... Like, you start, you venture from outside of the home, even if you're still living at home, like, you probably are doing things outside of the home in your adult life or in your young adult life, and you can't blame your mom anymore. Like, it's not all mommy's fault anymore. Like, you, as a young man, have to hold yourself accountable for your own actions. Especially when the young men in this movie are 30 years old. Exactly. They're not young. (laughs) They're 30. Just to give all the the listeners a heads up, I'm 30. I've, you know, I've obviously, I think a lot of people have issues with their parents. There's some things that, you know, when you get older, you kind of process a lot of the stuff that happened to you when you were younger. That's just something that you don't have a chance to process at a young age. And you do get to as as you get older and you think about these experiences, especially when you're sharing, you know, when you when you're in a group and you have these shared life experiences and you kind of talk about them. So I understand where the topic of conversation came from. You know, Tyler and Jack together 
commiserating that they did not have a father but instead of blaming their fathers for leaving in a time when you know they had no reason to like i believe jack uses the specific wording of his dad would get up and move to a different major city every six years and tyler goes it's like he's starting up franchises and i'm like i hate you so yes, much why yes. is this allowed I, it's, it's true though because if you think about it there is this absolute i mean i've i've seen i mean i'm not one of them i don't have any half siblings i do have a stepbrother but um i mean this this image of your dad being able to get up and go and start a new family and then he could get up and go from that family and start a new family and the only responsibility he would have to you is monetarily to provide for you in a physical like money sense so you could have food or clothes or rent or something and, and there are so many instances i think less so in these current generations just because i think we're millennials uh to give um to give our listeners context but uh, i'm in i'm 28 megan's 30 and um I think our generation does this less, but it was common in like Gen X and boomers and stuff where you'd hear these stories about men leading these double lives and mm -hmm. like that was cool. And mom was to blame for some reason for not knowing or like whatever. Like, I mean, it's somehow. a trope in films. There's so many tropes in film. If you look at any film from the 90s or even the 2000s, you'll see that trope of finding out your dad has an entire secret life. Yeah, and like... It's, I mean, it was the, it's the whole plot turning point of Death of a Salesman. You know, it's the reason one of the sons is damaged because he, like, caught his father having an affair. Like, not to spoil Death of a Salesman, it's only been out for 60 years, but... Yeah, um... sorry guys, sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert on the 60-year-old play that's been a movie 16 times, but, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, um, God, it's, it's so, um... It's just weird, though, that the blame is placed on the mom. Mm -hmm. Like, like I'm angry because my mom raised me instead of my dad being what sounds objectively like a piece of shit to, to create new families and then just leave after you got bored. Like, that doesn't sound like an issue with any sort of, like, like that sounds like an issue with someone who has no idea how human attachment works. Um, I, I mean, I can only speak as someone who's pregnant and the idea of packing up and going from my family, it would have to be some kind of severe mental break where I would completely lose attachment to literally every family member I have and move to a country that I've never been to. Yeah. Or Whereas like, with men, it's just like, I don't love you anymore and I don't want to be around this kid. Goodbye. And they leave and think, and, and I think that that is an absolutely valid explanation as to why the men in Fight Club fight so hard to like it's it's daddy's approval at the end of the day that's what they want they want to be able to punch the shit out of each other so that they, they can go home and report to an imaginary father and says dad I got into a fight today but I beat him and then their dad's gonna smack him on the back and go that's it son or whatever well well done son you know it's uh, I mean I guess maybe as like Maybe as a woman, I'm never going to understand that because uh, women's relationships with her. We'll cover this in another, another episode with, like, topics. We'll probably cover, like, I don't know, like, Brave or something. Something with uh, something with a strong mother-daughter mother, mother -daughter relationship in it. <laughs> brave! So, just very close. They're, they're honestly on the border of each other, Brave and Fight Club. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I, was, I, was, 
I was just trying to say, keep things in my room keep falling. No, um, you're good. I, I, no, I agree. There's, well, there's also very few instances of a movie where you're going, or a book, or a comic, or a, or a TV show, where you're going to see toxic femininity. I mean, the closest I can think of is Orange is the New Black, but even then, it's not even like all of these women share the exact same ideals and motivations. Hell, even within white women, you've got very different subsets. And uh, and so it's really hard to create this mass, you know, conglomeration of a bunch of ladies who are just like, you know, men are the enemy. We're going to blow up the credit unions. And instead, you just got like, it, it, and that's and that's the trope is that women can't agree on anything. So we all end up fighting, whereas men can sit down and agree on everything, you know, like starting a war, financial crisis. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, but it's all like, think about what you just said, like. Like, I mean, like, you will, but, like... <laughs> I will, thank um, you. But, like, you have thought about it, but, like, audience, let's think about what Megan just said. Um, we're going to go blow up the credit unions. What kind of playtime idea is that? <laughs> That's not real. That's fake. I'm sorry. I, I love it. I love it. They're like, we'll blow up all the buildings that hold, hose, that hold all of the credit debt so we all get a blank slate and start Credit zero. isn't real! <laughs> Also, I, I don't I don't mean to spoil any like like but even in the 90s when things weren't backed up a lot, um they didn't just keep everything in one location centrally. Uh like it's not it's not like it's not like all of the credit card debt from Chase was just in one building at, in Chicago. There it is. Just blow it up and everybody gets set to zero. Like they have backups upon backups upon backups and all they've done because i remember one of the parts of the book that is left out of the movie is that uh tyler and jack come to this uh you know they're like oh no one will die in these buildings because we've made sure that everybody who works in these buildings is going to be out of these buildings specifically the blue collar workers you know the janitors the people who would be there overnight and they're like you'll be fine it'll be safe the only thing we're destroying is credit debt and i just i i uh, and like their guerrilla warfare of like you know the 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 rolling the big ball into the Starbucks, okay, what you've done. I think it's weird that you call it that. I think what you meant to call it was a performance art piece, um, because it's the exact same shit. Like I've literally seen so many things where it's like talking about you know the idea of two birds one stone also sounds like a performance art title like no offense i don't mean to effeminize these guys but the idea of of blowing up a piece of corporate art and rolling it down a hill into a starbucks to me speaks more to art than it does to any kind of tangible change that would occur because they just move the art back to where it belongs and, who, and then who, starbucks would be built again most artists are men anyway so like it doesn't like most successful artists are men anyway Ooh, so. that's it that's that's the real tea guys is that uh is that you tyler wanna, durden is in fact a performance artist you want to pull some fucking um damien hirsch shit and like you know <laughs> it is i think and that's where it's 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 that's the thing is that fight club at the end of the day it's not a, Tyler's not your, your peak male physique, my Adonis, I adore him, like, wow, what, what a pinnacle of masculine achievement he is. It's more like, he's just, he's just somebody who is, in fact, a facet of another person, and he's not amazing, he has just as many flaws as every other person in the world, he just screams the loudest, so we all, and he demands that we listen to him. And that is the only power he has in the fact that people are willing to shut up and listen to him. Had Tyler 
not had, had you switched Tyler and Marla's characters, T- Marla would have been in the exact same position at the start of the movie as she would have been at the end. Mm-hmm. And Tyler, instead, he gets to blow up credit unions, and we all assume that some big, wonderful change has been done. Instead of being like, like extrapolating upon the end, there'd probably be not much change other than you've created more jobs in construction so that they can build these buildings again. I, I guess. I, and, I mean, and honestly, not to shit on Gen X like we always do, but know, I'm gonna shit on Gen X like we always do. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. But um, this is the exact type of revenge fantasy that I would expect, like, Gen, Gen X, X to come up with. To, like, fucking exact. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. mm-hmm. it's very much like, oh, like, people talk about all the time about how we feel as though we're entitled to, like, entitled to good lives. It's like, no, every millennial I know feels like they're entitled to be, like, like maybe have a house yeah and like have enough food to eat and a decent job every gen xer i know is like i wanted to be a rock star and i'm like okay susan (laughs) our war isn't a physical war it's a spiritual war wow that sounds really rough uh tyler did you know we've gone through two recessions um (laughs) before we graduated college two two recessions like several wars a terrorist attack yeah one of our earliest memories is of a major major terrorist attack and now we're all living through a pandemic but no tell me more about that spiritual war you're on sounds fun it sounds like a vacation honestly oh and you just get to beat the headlights of a Volkswagen bug because you hate what it represents in terms of the corporate greed of boomers. Oh, really? Tell me more about the corporate greed of boomers. I'd love to hear about it from you, who's sitting in a VP position right now. Like, that's the issue, is that is that Gen Xers have completely lost the, the, the narrative. Like, Boomers are old now. They're they're part of the the uh, retiring generation. They're 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 you know dying off and because of a pandemic that they've refused to acknowledge. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have Gen Xers who are just. I think a lot of the issues that we've had with regards to you know specifically like fandoms or like characters in movies, they've all been part of this very particular Gen X generation, mm-hmm. and they all have these very crazy narratives of like you know the anti-vax narrative arrived with Gen X. Uh, The idea of corporate greed, but instead of taking down the heads of these corporate structures, like, you know, kidnapping CEOs or founders of corporations, instead they destroy the icon that is the building. That won't change shit, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you realize buildings can be built. They have billions. That's the point. Um, And with Gen X, with, with millennials, we see our movies as this, you know, it, it's, or our, our interest in fandoms and stuff, it's kind of like writing these wrongs that we'll never get a chance to write. Like, like the idea of, um, like, I mean, even going into anime, like the idea of Death Note, because the police are so ineffective in a lot of different areas and just being able to fucking be like, okay, and I'll kill this criminal and this guy's a rapist and we're just going to do this. And you, and you take care of justice on your own because you don't see it being handled in your own life. Yeah, the idea of vigilante justice. And obviously, as a disclaimer, so we don't get any hate mail. This isn't all Gen Xers, duh. Like, I, I we love Kevin to... Smith. He's great. What? <laughs> we love Kevin Smith. Hey, listen to Clerks. That's a, that's a basically a episode entirely being like, yeah. Sometimes Gen Xers did get the shit out of the stick. Exactly. No. We're, so like, we're not like entirely, and like our generation is not without faults. But like, 
And uh, we're very actually sympathetic toward the issues of a lot of uh, Gen Xers, especially working class Gen Xers. And as absolutely, said, yeah. absolutely. The point of the matter is, though, that that this is that that uh, it it becomes this comparison of like, well, what we've experienced as a generation is harder than what you've experienced as a generation, and it's not that. Or like creating this narrative of 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 finding someone to blame your worries on, to blame your issues, your problems, your and I wouldn't even say this is applying to just Gen X as a whole. I'd say this is kind of the idea of this m white masculine savior of Tyler, and he kind of brings this this kind of uh this wavement of like he waves away their responsibility being like you are not a special snowflake you know you, you like the world hates you therefore you may as well destroy it and being like oh okay i mean yeah well okay great glad glad we've we've had this really fun pep talk tyler i'm i'm gonna go to the thrift store with marla and we're gonna buy some dollar dresses <laughs> I, I always found that message and maybe this is like the inherent like this being inherent inherently contradictory because um chuck is very proud of having coined the uh the term snowflake um he is he is a lot i love him i think he's great and I think he's contributed a lot to the zeitgeist and the cultural lexicon, but um, he's he's got some issues. Um, As I feel most creators do. Yes, exactly. No one no one was without you know their troubles, but um, I've always <laughs> found the the term like or the phrase like you're not a special snowflake to be particularly reassuring because it's very freeing. It's very much like oh I don't have to be special. Like that's that's cool. That's yeah. great. <laughs> I, I mean I I always I always question the weaponization of the word. Yeah, same. Uh, I I I've I've never like I I think for me and and this is you know what a weird note to end on but okay, um, but for me like the idea of being like like using the word snowflake to emphasize that you believe that my feelings are shared by me and me alone. And it's like, like, you're not a special, and they always spell the word special, like S-P-E-S-H-U-L or whatever. Um, you're not a special snowflake. And I'd be like, okay. Um, that, that didn't really address any of the things I just said, but you said a sentence, so I'd like you to... Okay. Like, it's, it's just, uh -huh. it's such a weird... Like, it's, it's a dismissive action. Like, in the same way, you know, your parents would be like, well, you're just a kid. You don't know what you're talking about. Now we're all in our late 20s and 30s. And they're like, ah, shit, we can't call them children anymore. Legally, they're not since they're having children. All right, snowflake it is. And it's, it's just, it's just such the weirdest word to weaponize. Because I, when I think of snowflakes, I... Truly just think of, like, Christmas time, like, Jack Frost, <laughs> like, in general, like, chilling out in my house and being like, wow, look at all this snow. Like, it's a very romantic <laughs> image to me. And then they're like, you're a snowflake. And I'd be like, well, technically, in my preschool performance of the Winter Festival, <laughs> I did play a snowflake. Um, I had a costume. It was great. It was white sweatpants and a white sweatsuit. We had white sweatbands. It was Perfect. We just put one snowflake on the sweatband so everybody remembered that I was a snowflake. I love it. I think, um, <laughs> I love it. I'm just imagining little baby Megan. But um, to end the, to sort of um, end this on a, um, on a note that is related to that, just to expand upon your point. Um, Absolutely. This kind of goes back to leading the examined life, you know, leading, what we're doing is asking questions, you know. Instead of just destroying things, 
or taking back what we think is ours or um or uh expressing the emotion that we feel inside without reason people feel uncomfortable with those who step back and say wait what is causing this yeah. what are the disadvantages in my life what are the societal disadvantages that i have and versus what others have and what can mm -hmm. we do to solve this and why is the status quo and not good enough and I think like Tyler's the the idea of the um, of Tyler's sus, like society, his little organization, is a very naive one. It's very childish, and I think to lead an examined life, if any of these young men who idolize Tyler Durden were to take one step further, you know, were to just get it a little more right, to think about it a little more. I think we'd be making progress instead of just blaming women for everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that, that at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's a book that, that focuses so much more on just consumerism. I think consumerism is a facet of the entire picture, yep. which is this idea that masculinity has a, this very narrow definition. It is a very narrow, straight definition of what defines a masculine man and what masculine men should do and, and what men need to do to prove themselves as men instead of, uh, and, and that's what's been taken specifically in terms of, instead of, uh, the, the, I believe that the actual interpretation is that taking those definitions and being like, well, that's fair. What is a man? Like, what do we define as masculine? Mm -hmm. Instead, they took it as this book defines masculinity for me. This movie defines masculinity for me. Instead of a reasonable questioning of, you know, why have I been believing this for such a long time? Is it necessarily in the best interest of me as a person and, and us as a whole? And, and that's where it's lost. And I think at the end of the day, the fandom needs to know understand that it's okay to ask questions about your favorite book doesn't mean you're not it's not your favorite book anymore yeah doesn't mean it's not your favorite movie anymore i absolutely adore kick-ass that does not mean it doesn't have its issues oh i think you're allowed to acknowledge good things that you like about a book or a movie or a cartoon or what have you and at the same moment question what its purpose is with regards to the the overall interpretation and definition Exactly. That is such a brilliant point and um, a brilliant point to end on, a brilliant point to end our live recorded episodes on. Actually, this this is officially the last episode. We'll yeah, record. this is it, guys. I'm uh, I'm 39 weeks as of tomorrow, uh, which doesn't really matter to you because you don't know what day it is. But <laughs> um, at this time but of recording. I'm yeah, at the time of recording, I'm 39 weeks as of tomorrow. And so I am due in about a week. Uh, so she could be coming any day now. And uh, I just want to say that the next time you hear my voice in a new episode, it's going to be... Uh, it, we, well, either you're going to hear my voice and a baby, or I'm just going to be crying the entire time. I'm like, let's talk about Snow White. I hate it. Like, <laughs> but I uh, just want to say thank you so much. This this has been absolutely amazing for, you know, spending seven out of my nine months of pregnancy or six out of my nine months of pregnancy talking about all this stuff that I absolutely love and adore with my best friend. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to do it now with my best friend and my baby. Well, she won't be able to contribute much since, you know, language is a hard concept when you're a newborn, but we'll figure it out. Honestly, I have control of the editing, so I will probably leave one or two of her screams in there. So. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Well, actually, as long as it's like a goog, like a, like a, whatever, you know, like how babies will just like make a noise. Oh, no, it's going to be a yell. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Everybody get ready. 
<laughs> me and the internet are going to raise this baby together, but you'll never know what she looks like. Just send, you know, like, <laughs> just, just, we'll just send vague instructions via email to us. Dear, found, dear fandom podcast at gmail.com. We'll just, uh, I'll just describe the uh, baby from dinosaurs every time. <laughs> oh, I, I hate it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. It was I the hate first, it. okay. The, it was either that or like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. And like, <laughs> I, that's gonna be an episode it's gonna be like let's talk about the fandom of mary kate and ashley i'm the fandom of mary kate and ashley what's up (laughs) all right well have a good one everyone and um the next few episodes you're gonna hear will be super pre-recorded so they may not be current but you know what you can live with it yeah you can if you don't like it skip it to the next one or go back and listen to something you did like all right bye bye